0: Fucks in deep I like it These guys are jerks Fucks in deep Bless you boys Young men expressing themselves unbelievable Fucks in deep what it is. Deep. Now, stop it right there. Okay, Howard, Howard Chuck goes in here, and the Euler player tries to get fancy. He can't out-fancy Howard Chuck. If he knocks him on his can, okay. But to try to poop it against the boards and pick it up behind Howard Chuck, you know who's going to get the puck. And now, It comes Oh my goodness Oh
1: wow
0: In your life have you seen anything like that you know, get pucks deep, bring the puck deep put Pucks in deep You can never go wrong with getting
2: pucks in deep Just put the puck deep Getting pucks out, getting pucks deep Pucks in deep Pucks in deep, puck deep, pucks deep Keep getting pucks
1: deep
2: Lots to unpack in that intro, Let's go.
1: That is some of your finest work
2: <laughs> Lots
1: to unpack Hell of an intro
2: Thank you Episode 70, Pucks and deep podcast Big, big episode tonight for you guys, really excited. Josh Coleman, Adam Lesko, as always, nearly utilized the entirety of the outro as you hear it fade into non existence. First off the top, Howie Meeker. All right. You know, and Alex Trebek. I, I don't mean to you know play favorites here. We are po- hockey podcasts, but the world, you know, and Canada in particular lost two good ones, two legends, two icons on yeah. Sunday afternoon. And we are. I, we already had Trebek on, which was great. It's so great that one of the, you know, one of the last things that he did in the public eye was make that draft pick. What an awesome yeah.
1: thing! Right? It was. It was really cool. We just talked about it recently on the show, and yeah, was, so I was couldn't a cool throw moment it. Moment, and it, it, I thought of it right away.
2: Yes, it, me Actually. too. Me too, dude. And the other thing I thought of was, I'm almost upset that I used the Trebek bit because I could have used it for today's episode. It would have been amazing. But either way, we got lots to get to. Rest in peace to those two souls, Howie Meeker. Uh, When I said lots to unpack, I was talking obviously because we got Meeker there, we got Barnaby there, and we got Matthew Barnaby coming up later on in the episode. Really pumped, obviously. And then finally, we've got Tiger's chip in. On the part three, lucky to get inside DeMarco's ball. Well, I guess he did, you know? So lots to unpack, but the main one that I wanted to unpack for you, dude, was I wanted to ask you in your hockey career how many times you pooped it into the corner.
1: I, I was wondering, so I heard that clip a few times, but it's the first time I've ever heard it, and it was just tonight because we were screwing around trying to get set up tonight. Right. And I the first time I went, no, it's just... he. It sounds like you said poof or something like that. Said something else. Time. And then the second time, I'm like, no. No, he said poo. So I I was really interested, I guess, to hear from your standpoint, because you've clearly heard it much more than I have. What was he trying to say there?
2: Uh, well, I can tell you a hundred with a hundred percent certainty that he meant to say pooped. Like I like I took a poop. Okay, so he said and, and I was struggling with the intro I was doing it earlier this afternoon getting it all prepared and it it was too long I had to cut it out poor howie meeker rest his soul had to cut it out it was too long but he said pooped it 3 times wow in the same highlight something about howerchuk over to the half wall and then uh if he was if he was um you know Snow, he could flip it or doll, Sorry, if he was hexdoll, he could flip it up into the corner. But instead, he has to poop it over into the into the <laughs> sideboards. And I'm like, man, what a line! Never I, heard
1: that one before.
2: I might have to bring that into play. Yeah, in the Bill K. Broadcast Booth doing Lumber Kings games.
1: I guess the craziest thing about Howie Meeker is just the the span of time he covered in hockey and was a legendary Hall of Fame player too. That's right. You know. Uh, Four cups with the Maple Leafs. One, our parents were born.
2: Won the Calder (laughs) in the same rookie season as someone pretty good Gordie Howe. Ever heard of him?
1: Ah, that guy. That guy. Okay. Finished
2: runner up to Howie Meeker. Wow. How do you like that?
1: Pretty impressive,
2: right? Uh, Three consecutive cups, I think, and then added another, a fourth one after a one year absence. So from
1: 47 to 49, they won the cup, and then in 1951.
2: Here's something that I'll say. Here's something that I'll put out to the world. I agree with everybody when they say, yeah, but I mean, come on, last time Leafs won it, there was only six teams, and all those cups that they have is when there's six teams. I could not agree with you more than that. I couldn't. Like, as a as a modern-day Leaf fan, I'd consider them to have zero, if you know what I mean, Yeah. Like, we don't have any cups. I we didn't see any. any? Well, well, even... No, but even if we won one in the 79, then that'd
1: be fine. It was a different league back then. There, I'm talking 19... It was right a very back. different league back but, then. But in
2: the same breath. So, in the, at the same time that you're going to say, wow, it doesn't really count. Let's talk about the actual parity of of the league back then with only six teams and yes i know lots less people from all over the world coming to play but even still there's only six teams let's go and to be able to hang on to a roster spot <laughs> with a stanley cup winning team i think is really uh impressive i think that's really impressive regardless of where you stand on it
1: oh i mean if you just isolate the achievement for what it is it's it's unbelievable imagine at least rattle off five cups in six years We'd lose our minds.
2: <laughs> well, We'd I lose our so. minds.
1: We would take that the rest of our life. I'd be like, this is it. I was good enough for me. That's that, all I needed.
2: It doesn't get they any better. They could suck
1: forever. But that time, that time, that period of time, they were dominant. And there ain't too many fans who can say that right now.
2: That's right. I mean, there are some modern-day dynasties. And, I mean, if you're a fan of basically anything Boston – yeah, you you don't even really know what it's like to lose Spoiled anymore. bastards Spoiled bastards is right. Um, but speaking of doesn't get any better than that. Um, how about that final highlight of uh, Tiger rolling it in at the masters on his way to another green jacket?
1: That's a great one. It's classic, obviously, and just I don't know. It's just if your hair stood up on your back and your neck. And he's got a couple of those. He's got a few of those, right? That oh. You see them and the way the crowd goes off. It's unfortunate that we'll probably be robbed of any sort of that moment. Probably one, due to his recent play, and two, not having fans, obviously.
2: Well, easy on number one there. <laughs> like, maybe prioritize those. I mean,
1: I want to see him succeed. I, I Everyone does. Who doesn't want to see Tiger Woods succeed?
2: Well... I mean, Jake and I got into it at the end of our uh, last episode that you, know, you had to miss, unfortunately, for Radio Bingo. But, uh, you know, we were talking about it at that point. It'd be nice to see. It's a tough bet, I think. And we're going to get more uh, on that when we speak with, finally, uh, the last part of the intro was Matthew Barnaby. We're going to speak with Matthew Barnaby. And we, uh, you know, the other thing I was a little upset about on the intro, Lesko, is I couldn't find any clips of that Garth Snow incident Right. That had better audio of Rick Generet. It just wasn't possible, and I just decided to roll with it anyways because fuck it, and it was a great highlight and I can't wait to ask him about I it. I
1: checked out some highlight packs and there's some wild calls from Rick and uh, if you've listened to the show for a long time, you know that we are both huge fans of his.
2: Oh, absolutely. We've we've used him at several uh yes. on several occasions. Yeah. Um, okay. So, I mean, we, we got it, we got a couple things to get to it. looked it looked like I had planned a little bit more chatter on how are on Howie Meeker <laughs> and and Alex Trebek, but kind of breezed over those gentlemen. The, the problem is, uh, I feel like the problem is with, with, with these deaths of important people, let go, especially when they're up in age. And as we know with Trebek as well, like he was stage four pancreatic cancer. So that, that prognosis was not looking good for Trebek. I think he was in the Um, in the 20 percentile in terms of living, how long he lived, which was, uh, over a year. I I believe it was coming up on two years if I'm not mistaken last year. Yeah. So a pretty long time. And I mean, that guy was super positive throughout. It's really tough when, when those things happen. You know, uh, on a show where you're, you know, doing weekly shows, you get these curveballs thrown at you. And you're not quite sure how to adjust. But in this case, last night, for example, I I just watched several episodes of of Jeopardy. Like I yeah. I watched several several episodes of Jeopardy. I maxed out at I think 25 answers on the evening, so I was ripping. Like it's it's pretty fun. I do enjoy playing Jeopardy. And uh, I did want to know, or I did want to note for our listeners, if you're interested, the final like Alex's. Final episode of Jeopardy will air on Christmas Day of this year, so a little Christmas present there from uh, posthumously from Alex Trebek.
1: Yeah, it was pretty sad. It's he's a Canadian legend, right? So, and we all grew up watching that stuff, and I feel like the show for me anyway is somewhat timeless in that it's just trivia. You know, some of it it is like you know current ish in terms of questioning. But, I mean, it's it, you can watch a Jeopardy episode from 20 years ago and still play along.
2: Yeah, absolutely you can. Um, I did see one thing online that, you know, it it made me smile. And I remember thinking, like, geez, am I allowed to laugh at this? I, I'm not sure what I'm allowed to laugh at anymore in 2020, but I laughed at it anyways. <laughs> and it was um, something along the lines of, you know, Trebek was able to pass on peacefully after his – Long-time nemesis Sean Connery uh, passed away just a, <laughs> just just a few days earlier because, of course, of the the long-time SNL skit between him and and Sean yeah, Connery, yeah. which was always a, a hilarious that's, bit.
1: That's an all-timer for me, and yeah. I did see some other memes of that sort circulating around out there, uh, saying like, "Oh, they're they're running Jeopardy. They're up there together now," and I just it was it was very. It was a weird thing to laugh at. I think you're right, but it was. It was. I don't know. It was, it was something. it's something positive. It is. That, that I feel like it's that positive. story yesterday, and it was. I don't know. It was a crazy weekend if you think about it overall in the world, um, with everything that went on, and you know, it's, it's just having this kind of news too. Is it's weird? It's like just a, There's motions all over the place. Well, this did, did
2: you do any dancing in the streets? Like we saw lots of in, we saw a lot in of areas that. of, you know, New York and Pennsylvania. That was fun and, to watch.
1: Right? I had to say that was pretty fun to watch. My favorite was the uh the gentleman with the Puerto Rican flag who was uh shooting the J of paper towels over the White House fence.
2: Oh, is that what and it was?
1: And, uh, <laughs> said something like we remember or something like that. It, nice. It, I don't. There's some there were some entertaining scenes going on after they finally, finally called that election. Man, was that painful! Yeah, it was painful to watch after a few days. It was getting like frustrating how slow that was taking. But
2: it seemed to me like the whole time it was just a matter of time, right? And it was yeah. just kind of boring. It wasn't really as close as people thought it was. Right,
1: it wasn't at the end, not really.
2: But wouldn't you say that it still was a little bit too close?
1: oh yeah yeah that that's that's the other thing it's like in the same breath you're like oh that's a lot of people you look at the numbers you're like it's a lot of people
2: so i mean i know a lot of people were also hoping that i guess you know covid would be over at this point but unfortunately it's not and it has uh claimed another victim unfortunately sergio garcia will miss the masters this year as he tested positively just today uh for the coronavirus so it gets another one less go and no sergio at the masters man like i don't claim to be the biggest sergio fan ever but like he he's he's a marketable guy he's an excitable guy on the golf course and uh, it's really too bad. I mean, I don't know if it's a false positive or if he's asymptomatic or if he's actually, you know, feeling the effects. I'm not sure. Wishing him well, of course, and everybody else. Uh, but that makes two. him and Joaquin Neiman have both withdrawn.
1: Yeah, it seems to be going around at the PGA. It's too bad, I wonder if that's not the end of it.
2: Well, I mean, you have to wonder, like, what if you played some practice rounds with Sergio I don't recently? Know. And
1: I mean, golf is probably the easiest sport ever to distance. Maybe aside from tennis. I don't know. I guess you're passing a ball around, but. <laughs> <laughs>
2: right. Yeah, you're right, though. I mean, you have groups, but you're able to, you know, distance from one another. I don't know. I mean, obviously, at this point, if you come in contact with anybody anywhere near you that and it ends up having it, then you better get tested. So I'm a little nervous hearing the news today because, like I said, I mean, who. Who's been in contact with him, that's that's a, a big name on the tour. Right. That's gonna be playing. Right. We'll you see
1: know. it we'll see who's following the rules. All right.
2: Maybe hang off on your actually I gotta place my bets for tomorrow for one of my pools.
1: Yeah. So I, I I'm gonna get into that hopefully and I'm I'm interested to hear some golf guys' opinions on uh who to be looking at. I'm yeah. looking at that beast de Shambo I like that.
2: It's hard to is he, ignore. Is he like the
1: wild card every tournament now? No, I think he's the favorite or he's like, every time. Yeah, he's, he's he's earned that status. Well, here's he's he's here, won some big tournaments now, and he's just consistently seems to be right there. Even though at first everyone was just talking to him because he could smash the ball 400 yards,
2: yes. But here's the here's what it has developed into. At at first, people were thinking, okay, great, you can hit it as far as you want, but that's not going to help you when the rough is this long and if you're sacrificing accuracy for distance and all this other stuff. But guess what? He's not sacrificing accuracy for distance. He's hitting them that long, and they're going straight. It's working. That's what's. That's the craziest part about it is yeah. he's hitting them that long, and they are going straight. I would agree with the pundits if he was spraying them 20, 30, even 10 yards to the right or left, but yeah. he's not. He's piping things He's got wedges into par fives like, well, I shouldn't say wedges. He had like an eight iron into a par five, which is just ridiculous. But I don't want to get too much into this because I want to chat with, with Barnaby about this. The guy's a big golfer, man. He's I'm excited to hear how many rounds he's played this year because I was listening to uh, some of his podcasts earlier before we got him on. And I think he was shooting for over 100 rounds. That's what I heard him say.
1: Wow. That's a lot of golf right and where comparatively <laughs> how many how many rounds do you get in in a summer
2: uh okay well i'm once a week steady 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 one round per week every time but then probably another time so let's say twice
1: like a throw in
2: not yeah yeah whatever it might be tuesday it might be a weekend sometimes i have a tournament so you got to you got to factor that in for the times where i only played once i had tournaments to do on the weekends right, right. so yeah twice Twice a week? How many weeks are there in the summer? I don't know. Come on, man. You're the mathematician here. I am not the mathematician. Unbelievable.
1: When, when did you put me in charge of math? Well, oh, it's
2: definitely not me. It's Al- not? Although I did win the Math Olympics in grade seven.
1: Oh, so credentials. So with, Your resume is already better than mine. With Brandon Cook. You got your grade seven math.
2: No, no, no. We, we, we won the regional Math Olympics at Bishop. That's a big deal. And then we went to Kingston and we stayed at Queen's University in the dorm rooms. And we finished third.
1: That's some good math.
2: Yeah. And then it completely fell out of my brain.
1: Yeah. That was the end of it. (laughs) I don't know, man. So you peaked in grade seven math is what you're saying. I guess so. That was it.
2: I don't know what happened. I had no interest. It just—I had no interest. But you think I would? I was—I dominated at it. Yeah, Algebra, give me that. it. Fucking whatever. Maybe you just you got. thought you
1: were done with it. Like you're like, I got this. <laughs> like you know those guys who peak. Like those guys get picked first overall. Bust. they like they peaked when they were like 19. Yeah. And then they were like, I'm the man. And then that was it.
2: You never were the man yeah, after that, that, was that you, were grade you? grade seven math. I guess so. I used to be like.
1: I was pretty much. I don't know. I shouldn't make fun of you. I was, did pretty much the same thing. I picked it up now later in life way better than I understood it for like a good chunk of Dude, my life. Dude,
2: easy math problems are, are thrown my way and I quickly get
1: rattled. <laughs> I just qu- the thought of doing it is enough to like set you off. I quickly right? get
2: rattled. I'm like, oh my God, it's like... Seventy three or something. Yeah. I'm like, no, it can't be seventy three. It's gotta yeah. be sixty two or so whatever. Second and I, guess yourself. Second guessing all over the place and then I'm doing weird outside the box thinking, like getting to eighty and then subtracting there. Like I'm doing the Michael Scott, I will I will divide and then count to it. <laughs> or whatever his logic was yeah anyway yeah i'm sure I'm totally no one's
1: surprised l- to hear that this uh stats heavy podcast is is not big on math <laughs> not good, super good to know.
2: big on math good on dude good to know. uh what did you think of driving in the driveway today i got you, the I, I was doing lights i was I sweating see her, i
1: see you're pretty horny for christmas
2: well listen how much red and green and fucking blue and purple, like how many colors do you see out there?
1: I don't know. I just see Christmas lights on a fence. Well,
2: I mean, they're white though. Like they're, they're, they're not, so it's they're not neutral. like, I'm, they're season neutral. I think saying. they're season neutral. Okay. And, uh, the other ones are what? Like they're just spotlights on trees. And I said to Kiersey, like we got to get both sides lit up. Like last night we did the right side and I said, we got to get both sides lit up so that it looks like a golf course like when you're driving into a golf course oh. and they have spotlights on their trees are
1: you going to get sprinklers put in too
2: <sighs> dude that lawn is a fucking write off <laughs> i don't know what write-off. they were i don't know if they were churning that for vegetables back in the 1800s or whenever this place, like 1800s that soil is tired it's tired boy it's there's shit everywhere it's tough it's a tough go it's a reclamation project yeah it is and yeah. i mean we might be getting married on this property Ooh. oh i think we are like that's Ooh. the plan Plan is to get married on the property, so the lawn's gotta be nice. You know what I mean? You can't be having Aunt Sandra oh, flip an ankle on the fucking You better get on it. Groundhog hole in the dirt. <laughs>
1: there are hazards. <laughs>
2: it's pretty it's pretty shitty. And man. then
1: you well, and it smells shitty sometimes oh, too.
2: Yeah. You're oh oh it smells terrible here twice a year. Yeah. I mean they're literally spraying shit like right right next to the house.
1: Yeah, I have to there's uh, a lot of cows directly beside the house.
2: Howie Meeker would have loved them. They're poop cows.
1: Oh, there's they're just trudging around. They're
2: pooping in they're they're pooping in the corner for yeah. sure. Yeah,
1: maybe maybe the evolution of that phrase is soft dump in the corner. Oh, <laughs> oh
2: You're right, dude. They said, listen, we can't keep saying like, you know, Howie, great guy. Can't keep saying poop it in the Time's corner. Time's change,
1: Howie. We can't say poop anymore. We'll have to
2: change it to dump. Yeah. And then they changed it to dump and chase.
1: There you go. Wow,
2: what a segue! We
1: might have solved it.
2: What a segue here on the Pucks and D podcast.
1: Yeah, yeah. I want to get into this uh, article in the Star that was going around today, and people were proposing all these ridiculous lineups. Okay, um, I'm happy about this. Yeah, like like tell the people what it's about.
2: Yeah. Okay. Well, here's I-, I want to ask you first and foremost: Could you access the article? Did you even read the article? Could you so, access it?
1: I couldn't. know because it was paywalled on the Star. Right.
2: It's a Toronto Star article, and I'm not even going to say who it's by. I ain't even going to say it because we're not here to fucking advertise for anybody. But it's on the Toronto Star, and it's by some guy, all right. And some it's about guy. it's about Sheldon Keith deploying two forwards and a defenseman.
1: By the sounds of it, he was up front. He was like saying and two D like on serious the Serious consideration. Like he made it sound like it was something that they might experiment with, and I'm I'm interested to actually know what's funny. We're going to talk about an article that we'ren't able to read, but (laughs) I wonder if he's saying like this is something he might experiment with, or like if people interpret it as like oh he's doing he's saying he's going to do it next year or something like it's in the plans.
2: Okay, in this situation where there's smoke, there's fire, absolutely applies. It does because, and the reason why I say that so confidently is because Sheldon Keefe is one of those coaches that is definitely, not only is he not afraid to push the boundaries, he is, like, it's desirable for him to push boundaries and consider other options that haven't been thought of before.
1: So, and what they're talking about running two forwards and and three D-men,
2: Yes. It's interesting. Yeah, that's so, what I was saying. So two forwards and a D up front, and then a, obviously two D on the back. Okay. So for our situation, I mean, are we even, are we going to talk about this? Do you want to well, speculate I'm just, this at all? I,
1: I just want to – I don't want to speculate whether or not it's going to happen or not. I'm just trying to imagine what it looks like because right to the average hockey fan that hears that goes, what? <laughs> it sounds ridiculous, right? So I'm just trying to entertain the idea and envision what that could possibly look like. And it immediately I just thought of jokes like, oh leafs are so bad they need three D men out there and shit like that.
2: Yeah, I mean it here's the part that interests me though. And it it relates to like angles and how you're gonna deploy your unit as it sits as a five man cohesive unit on the ice. Because Obviously, as we know, Lesko, over time, coaching has developed to this point where it's super specific. And, I mean, your X's got to be where your X's are and your O's have to be where your O's are for a play to work. We see it happen all the time. Even small little plays off the face-off. It's got to work perfectly, but they score. It did work perfectly. It's how they drew it up.
1: So you're thinking it's perhaps a situational deployment? That's what I'm
2: getting at, a situational deployment where instead of insert X winger here – we put Morgan Riley there.
1: Right. I wonder if it's more of a defensive play, like the idea would be for a dense defensive play, like you're trying to kill the clock.
2: I'd, I I have a hard time believing that it's for anything else.
1: It's interesting because Can't I've heard be the conversations scoring. in the other direction as well. The idea that of playing with four forwards more frequently. I've, I've heard that quite a long time ago. I must say over a year ago, I read about someone proposing that idea. And it was born out of the idea of the extra forward on the power play. You're using it more frequently throughout the game, especially in situations where you're down.
2: Yeah, well I'm not proclaiming Keith to be the inventor of this play, but he was running the five man for the five man forward unit. Um not only on power plays, but like at the end of games. Mm-hmm. And then he'd pull the goalie and have six.
1: Six forwards out there.
2: Six forwards out there. Everyone just get creative and put that biscuit in the basket somehow and it would work not all the time I'm not saying it's 100 percent accurate but you know what's the point in having one of your d-men back there that really the best thing that he can do is kind of you know glove it down at the line and either shoot it shovel it back into the corner or or you throw it on goal and hope for the best what, what's
1: I, the difference I, I think it depends on the d-men that you have to use as well i mean if you have defensemen that you're not confident in their abilities in the offensive zone or what they can contribute to potentially scoring, it's just that it, it almost boils down to something simple. And you're like, well, I have more guys on the ice that are capable of scoring than not than if I, than if I had that, this defenseman on the ice.
2: Yeah, and I mean, defensemen at their core, okay? You can even have a, a highly gifted offensive defenseman, but he's just simply not getting the reps shooting to score, from certain areas. He's not getting those reps, even in practice. Like, even in practice, he's not walking in to the top of the circle and trying one short side glove. It just right. doesn't happen in an NHL game. Right. Right. So, if you're able to put a guy like a Morgan Riley or someone else who does have some offensive flair to his game, put him in positions to have like a trigger pull option. If you're playing, trying to defend a lead in some scenarios, and the four checker does a good job and it happens to pop out to you and you're a defenseman, but you're actually playing forward so you don't have to feel like you can't overcommit. You, right. can, you can make okay. a shoulder fake and then rip a shot and not have to worry about going down and giving up an odd man rush. Right. Maybe like, that's part have of Having an too.
1: offensive mindset might make a big difference in that situation because you have to understand, I guess, that most of the time, like you're saying, your mold is a defenseman. Your mind is thinking that way. You're thinking defense first. You're taught to be that. That's rammed in your head. Defense first. So even when you're in the zone, like you said, you end up in a situation where you might get caught. What's it like when that forward has the green light completely? You know, still has to contribute defensively when he's out there on the ice, but has that extra. I don't know. Just knowing that he's not potentially the last man back.
2: Yeah, then that's exactly what I'm getting at. Like, it, it kicks off the sidewall to the to the guy that seems to be the the trailer, so to speak. There's no lane. One guy goes down to block, so you do a quick little sidestep and then rip your shot. You are not like there are two guys behind you, ready to defend. And what they've done in the off should give them a little more confidence, I think. Um, you know, not necessarily to say that they can go ahead and willy nilly just cough up the puck or anything, but it gives them the, like you said, the opportunity to at least be a little bit more aggressive and have a have a more confident play. But um, to be completely honest with you, I don't see this actually happening. Um, what I see happening, and I think we've talked about this before, is a, a total switch in terms of what defines a position on the ice. As in, am I a defenseman or am I a forward? I'm not really too sure because right. I think at some point we're going to get to like the point if, where okay. if, if I'm missing on the bottom left side because I pinched over, then it's your responsibility to cover for me. And there's no more defense forward thing. There's
1: more flow, like fluidness between the positions. And the, I guess, you know, obviously with the way you're lining up would be similar, but in that context you're saying that during the course of play that positions almost become... Irrelevant, like irrelevant. rotational. Uh, you completely irrelevant. It and you know, no,
2: no, no, sorry. The, your position on the ice obviously matters, like, you know, but your assigned title, your your title assigned position, position means right. nothing.
1: In terms of like actual positioning, like changing. There's, they've always had this, you know, where they pull out the drawing board and show you, this is your lane on the ice. Yes. This is where you're predominantly supposed to be, right? But once the and puck then, is you're, down. And are talking about erasing that yeah. and, and having like a rotational cast of players I don't know how to describe that. Like almost like basketball. Somewhat, yes, exa- guys exa- exactly. Exactly. Free flowing. Like,
2: exactly. Like basketball, dude. And then wow. you'll, you know, okay, you're going to have players that obviously excel in like shutting the play down. Okay. So you can still refer to that guy as a defenseman because he defends, mm-hmm. but the way you deploy him isn't necessarily, okay, you're, you're only sitting in this back left. You're only sitting in this back left. You know what? Maybe I trust you along the wall so much that the entire left wall is your wall, all 200 feet, all 200 feet, the entire left wall. That's where you're going to be. And you're never going to be out of position because when you're in the offensive zone working up the left wall, one of our other guys is swooping back around. Yeah. We have a quote unquote defenseman at the blue line, Mm. but you're just our left wall guy. And there's a right wall guy, and then there's a behind the net guy. You know, like it could just be something like that that turns into a more cohesive unit, just kind of moving around and flowing around on the ice, and less of these like backstops and D to D six times to get things ready to go.
1: That would be revolutionary for the game of hockey if such a thing were to ever take place. I don't think it's too far. I I don't think it's, it's too far off. Like, it would take a while for something like that because I feel like hockey is very entrenched in positional play, <clears throat> especially when you consider the teams and how often they will skew towards a defensive game or playing a defensive style of hockey, uh, just on the basis of their roster makeup. Like say, if you're low on skill, you know that's the way you're going to play the game.
2: Yeah, and convers- conversely yeah. to my free flowing uh idea for strategy you could argue that it might go the other way and more towards like a lacrosse style where you got the guys out that can defend really well mm-hmm. and then as soon as you manage to get hang on to possession of the puck then you quickly start switching and get your offensive players out there
1: it reminds me actually what i thought of immediately and i had not had a chance to say yet just on the basis of the conversation, but it reminded me of the Russian Five, man, the Soviets and the way they played hockey where you couldn't tell who played where when they were cycling the puck and moving it around. It was just like kind of what you described, a free-flowing situation where guys were just moving back and forth on the basis of need, situational need, and not in this is my position, so this is where I'm supposed to be right now in this general area so as not to fuck up.
2: Yeah, and we honestly, we see that all the time. It's not like it's a total foreign idea here. Like, we see it all the time. We see a lot of quarterbacking defensemen on the power play that will just kind of work all the way around. Mm -hmm. They'll work to the corner. They don't usually go behind the opposition net, but they will go down to the corner and then, you know, poop it behind the back of the net (laughs) and then get it back and go back to the blue line and go D to D or something. So, why not just do that all the time? And honestly, let's go today's defensemen a lot of the creme de la creme aren't the greatest defenders, are they?
1: No, they're the puck movers. They're the guys who put up 55 points.
2: Hands, uh, hockey IQ. Why are you keeping this guy away from the hash marks and below on the opposition? Oh, oh, because he has to play defense. Mm. He can't go below that line because there's another guy. Fuck the other guy. The other guy probably makes half this guy's money. Let this guy go wherever he wants to. Get the, Get the most out of that player. Get the most out of that player. Yeah.
1: I wonder if that's a, like an inefficiency, may, perhaps that uh, that perhaps the Maple Leafs have identified as an area that that there could be something worth exploring. Yeah, maybe. I mean, this guy who said this in the Toronto Star is you know credible in this field. You know, he, he's worked for the Maple Leafs previous, so it's not coming from. Joe journalist field, or something yeah. here at the Toronto sun where you know, it's a little bit, a little bit different here. So I think that's why it generated a lot of debate. Now, the funniest thing that I saw in regards to this today was the uh, lineups that people were proposing. So there was a lot of trying to find ways to get Martin Marincin some ice time. And I figured that's the only way he's going to play a game. If uh, <laughs> the Leafs play with 3d, I didn't even see any of that. <laughs>
2: Oh, man. You know what? Yeah, you could pop him in there and call him a bottom six. Eh? Call him a bottom six instead of a D-man. Then people won't be all angry about it anymore. He's not a D-man. He's playing in our bottom six. <laughs> 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 playing fourth line left wing.
1: Oh, man. And, uh, it's going to be really interesting to see when we actually get hockey. I mean, it's it's looking less and less likely to me anyways that – they are going to be starting in January because I. you think about how much planning and how much work is going to go into whatever design of season we have. Uh, players also got to know. So say if they, you know, there was early talk of January 1st, players would be notified by now. You figure well, if that was the plan because they got to get ready.
2: I know. Especially I heard-
1: with all the quarantining and all the extra protocol. It's, geez man like it doesn't seem like that's happening
2: i heard something yesterday or maybe it was even this morning that they were still targeting january 1 and like i I talked with jake about it last episode i was like everybody on
1: standby there's there's no way get your have your bags packed ready to to hop on a plane and and go
2: there's no way it's too it's too soon we haven't heard any news all right like i I I No, there's no way. I mean, if there is, that's amazing, Lesko. That means we got like a month and a half. Like, make basically. no mistake,
1: there is no off-season for the NHL as an organization or for a hockey team this season. Like, there just isn't. With all the work to be done and all the logistics to be figured out and all the extra work that you haven't had to deal with in the past, if they're going to find a way to pull this off,
2: Dude, we're looking good they, if they work. do. 'Cause we're already all set, aren't we? Like, well as far as
1: as far as Maple Leafs roster, if that's what we're talking about, yeah. I'm feeling okay about it. We're good to go, man. Like everyone's ready.
2: Everyone's got their text messages and everything saying ready to show up to camp. Obviously there's a handful of guys that know camp kinda means nothing. Let's just get back in shape and get ready to rock. But it's gonna be really exciting, man. Short season. We talked about it last episode, what happened again, or what happened last time during the short season. You never know, right? The the cards are up in the air here, so it's pretty exciting. Now, the cards are up in the air for the COVID Cup also, okay? We know it, and they didn't didn't get a chance to get there. So, okay, that's all right. Now, we're going into another weird short season. We kind of just had a weird playoff in a bubble. Now, we're going to have a weird short season, you know? Why not us, right?
1: I'm a fan of the short season, to be honest.
2: Yeah, you are eh?
1: It's like it's, it's weird because it's trying to balance your interest as a fan. You're like, well, there'll be less games to watch, but the, I feel like the, the quality of play would be much higher. Yeah, and I
2: I did you a solid. I asked you that nice question from Jake, nicely articulated. Thanks, I appreciate that and strongly worded. You're right. You're right when you told me that they were strongly worded, not strongly worded towards Jake, but I said I think you said something about said, they were well, nicely nicely well-worded. worded. Yeah, so they were. It was good. It was a good little chat we had.
1: <laughs> That's awesome, man. I, it was really great to have him join the show again, of course. He's uh, been, become a bit of a recurring guest for us, and uh, we always appreciate him taking the time.
2: Yeah, you can't wait to come on again already. He just couldn't couldn't wait to get his Masters pick off his chest. Oh, yeah. And I told him, I said, geez, maybe we should have you next week to talk about the Masters, but really looking forward to talking about the Masters with Matthew Barnaby as we're entering our 36th minute here in the Pucks and D podcast episode 70 wow. 36 minutes number 36 very famous matthew barnaby of course um what do you want to get uh, anything else you want to cover let's go before we uh, uh did you bring see barnaby that
1: uh, fundraiser that Matthew's announced in uh coordination with november Movember? i guess. i did so not. i had to read it a couple of times in the way that whomever posted about it worded it but anyway they were saying that if the he, uh that if he raises one hundred and seventy thousand, that he'll shave his mustache off. And the way he he posted, I saw his post eventually, and he's like, um, "Some of you like it, a lot of you hate it." So <laughs> he was putting it up for grabs. And if he raise that much money, I guess he's shaving it off.
2: Really? I don't and like. I that. for
1: one personally am a little disappointed. I'm disappointed. I would have been more on team. Like I'll pay him to keep, continue wearing to that. To keep
2: thing. it, yeah. You know what? Maybe that would have been the ideal fundraiser. I'm going to raise money for my mustache. You can donate to either side. Either shave it or leave it.
1: Oh. Why don't we work in the marketing department for MLSE?
2: Right? Is that not a fucking sick idea? That
1: is a very good idea. $5
2: $5 here if you want me to keep it. $5 here if you want me to shave it.
1: Yeah, $20 like-
2: if you hate it so much that you need me to remove it. Or $20 if you're scared that I'm going to cut it off because you're such a huge fan and you want me to keep it. They would yeah. ra- They raise more money, I feel.
1: Yeah, that's, a, that's a great idea. Because
2: I don't think I'm going to – like I wouldn't contribute. Even though I want to contribute to a great cause, I wouldn't contribute to Austin Matthews's uh Movember cause cause I don't really want to see him shave it off I don't he's got a good stash. yeah looks I'm gonna, great I'm
1: gonna find some other there's lots of people who do Movember causes we could find some other guys yeah who are willing to grow mustaches for Movember instead
2: instead of shaving them off yeah come on Austin
1: yeah we're not for this <laughs> just let it we're letting it be known for the record <laughs> or we I mean also- he's definitely gonna raise it yeah. Right.
2: And then he's gonna cut it off or shave it off, but then it'll come back. It'll come
1: back. back. It's definitely bringing it back.
2: It'll come back. It's not a big deal.
1: There's no. There's no way. He'll bring it back eventually. All right.
2: And we're gonna bring it back in just a few short moments. We'll get Barnaby on, and then we'll bring ourselves back to the pod. You all set for that?
1: Wonderful. Sounds good.
2: All right. So we're here with former NHL pro Matthew Barnaby uh, joining the Pucks and D podcast for episode seventy. And, uh, Matthew, thanks a lot for taking the time out of your evening to join us. I know we got in there a little bit earlier than the, uh, NFL starts. So that's good. Cause I know you're a big football guy too, eh?
0: I am a bad big football. And thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure and nice talking to you. We'll get to a variety of different stuff. I'm sure tonight, but yes, I'm a huge NFL guy, huge New York Jets fan. And, uh, now that they're 0 eight, um, I'm just hoping for another loss and uh, hopefully the number one pick in the draft to give me something to absolutely maybe enjoy for the last thirty years. It's been a rough, rough go as a Jets fan for uh, for Matthew Barnaby.
2: Jeez, you you sound like a Leaf fan from twenty fifteen. <laughs> <laughs>
0: very, very, very similar. The only the only difference is we we don't have the the tough game seven losses or tough overtime losses we we don't get that far so maybe it's even it's worse to be a leafs fan because the heartbreak is even more we're, we're succumbed to losing uh at about game three and we are we already start prepping for the next year in week three
2: god kicked us right in the pants with the game seven uh did you get out golfing today matthew you hit the links at all gorgeous day
0: i you know what i had played so many rounds at the start of the year and I haven't played in about, I've played like two rounds in the last six weeks, uh, a variety of different things. But yeah, it was beautiful today. Um, my son got out and played with a couple of the guys from the Sens, and uh, they, they were mocking me. They were sending me pictures all day long. But no, I, I I didn't have a chance to play. If I can't play well, I hate to go out, so I don't want to embarrass myself right now.
2: Okay, fair enough, fair enough. Because I, I heard, uh, I was listening to a little bit of your uh, Unfiltered podcast uh, with Matt Barnaby, and... Um it sounded like you were shooting for like a century mark on golf rounds. Did
0: you get anywhere you know near what? That? I got to 96. and oh. it, Maybe I, maybe I can squeak a couple more in, but um, it's funny because uh, about six weeks ago, I broke my toe. I dropped a weight on it and Ooh. broke my toe. And anyone that, that plays a lot of golf or that the golfer is out there uh, knows how important pivoting off that toe. So that kind of put me behind the eight ball, but I played a ton early, but didn't get to the century mark, unfortunately. Wow,
2: 96 rounds. You just better pray to God that Mike Babcock isn't coaching you for the, your next three rounds.
0: Well, good good chance he won't be coaching next year, and there's even a better chance um, that the skates won't be put on for at least another 18 months, and never again we know that in the NHL.
1: No kidding. Now, now Matthew, you don't get into any like heated uh,
0: dust-ups there on the golf course. Nothing like you on the ice, right? nothing no no I, I i do i do get angry at myself that that's about it if i if i hit there's, there's nothing worse than hitting a great drive if i hit a bad drive i'm usually okay with it uh it's if i hit like a, a pitching wedge or a sand wedge and i i don't knock it close or i miss you know a three three footer that's where i get a little testy and i've been known to break the odd club or two so i've actually gotten to be good friends with a, a guy that regrips clubs and shafts clubs I can get them back within you know 12 hours it's always a good guy to know if you're a little uh, a little apt um, to lose your temper once in a while on the course
2: so what, what would you recommend to our uh, anger management listeners and uh, Matt would you recommend breaking the club over the knee or tossing it in the pond just never see it again
0: no 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 no, no. I've done I've done both uh, several times <laughs> and, uh, no no it's way more expensive when you throw it in. Uh, in the lake or in the pond, uh, break it, reshaft it. A lot less expensive, and you'll get it back because uh, it's 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 always one of those things. Uh, you're mad at it so quickly, and as soon as you break it, you're like, man, I miss it. it it's like it's 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 like the good it's like good looking ex. You, you break up with her, and then as soon as you break up with her, she starts dating another guy, and you want her back. It's the same thing as breaking a six iron or any iron over over your leg. You want it back. <laughs> now I guess
1: you probably broke a whole lot more sticks in your hockey career, uh, whether you were angry or just digging hard in the corners. But you did rack up like a ton of pims in junior, actually, as well. Um, I want to get over into your hockey career a little bit here, if you don't mind. But um, you're always like the center of the action. I found watching you growing up, you're physically, verbally. Um, like, when did you realize that playing that physical, agitator kind of role? Um, was going to be your game and the way you approached it.
0: Yeah, I was always antagonistic as a kid, but I was I was a talented, you know, goal scoring, a better always a better passer than a shooter. Uh, growing up, and then I didn't grow uh, from the ages of you know twelve to sixteen. I'd say fifteen and a half. I've always always really on the small side, especially at fourteen and fifteen years old. So when I went to my first junior camp, is when I kind of realized, okay. I'm going to have to add another element to my game, not not to play pro, just to play in the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. So, you know, when I got there and I saw the size of the guys and, you know, I had grown, I'd gotten to six feet, I was still slight, I was probably only 148 uh, pounds at the time, but I I, I just didn't feel like I was ready to play in that league if I didn't add a component to to my game. So, you know, thus uh, I started dropping the gloves and kind of raised I guess, attention to myself that I was willing to do anything to make the team. Um, I was fortunate enough to get a coach to work with me after that. But, you know, I, 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 not only did I see that, you know, I had an opportunity to play in the league, um, then I started to become a fan favorite in Quebec City. And everyone likes, you know, to to have the accolades and have them cheering for you and then to become a, a popular player. And then I thought it just gave me a, enough time that at 18 and then 19, To kind of own my skills and and get a little bigger physically, and then kind of grow into kind of bring both sides of the game, not just being a fighter, not just being an agitator, but being able to put up uh, points in junior and add the physical element. And thus, you know, kind of translated. And I brought that same mentality as soon as I went um, to the National Hockey League to my first camp that I was going to take the exact same philosophy that I brought to major junior because of the success that i had and fortunately again i had an organization a blue collar town and probably the right era right time and the right team uh that it all just worked out perfectly
2: you know you mentioned uh major junior you know that style of gameplay and the way the officiating is in that league what was it like moving on to the nhl and, and a higher fast-paced league bigger boys stronger boys Lesser rules are being enforced, you know. Back when you were playing, in your rookie years, Um, was it a difficult transition, or was it easier on you? Were the refs a little bit more lenient? Did they treat you a little harshly as a rookie? Like how did that go when you first broke in?
0: You know what? You're always going to have refs that that yeah, refs that hate you. But I'll start with the first, I guess part part of the question. You know, was it easier? And a lot of people can't fathom. For me, it was easier to make the National Hockey League. Than it was major junior, only because physically I hadn't developed um, at the pace that other guys did at 17, 18, 19, 20. And there's a big difference when you haven't developed physically at the age of 16, 17, and you're playing against 19 and 20 year olds. It's a massive, massive difference. Uh, you have to remember, in the era that I played in, in junior with, You know, the the George Larocks and and the Donald Brashears, um, you know, the the Dean Melansons, There there were so many. Gino Ojek, so many tough guys. So those guys I was fighting, I was probably between 148 and 165 uh, in my three-year career in major junior. Those guys were 220, 230, 240. Some guys I was giving up 70, 80 pounds in fighting, which is is astronomical. Then you move to the AHL for a little bit. You play there. And the difference between the AHL junior as opposed to the NHL, there's no cameras in St. Hyacinth or in Laval or Quebec City on a Tuesday night or a Saturday night in 1989 through 92. Right. Now there are. When you got to the NHL, there's cameras. There's only so much a guy can do. Now, I'm not saying fighting the guys in the NHL was easier because it wasn't. They were super tough the Stu Grimsons, the Dane O'Chara, but. I was much more physically ready to protect myself once I went up. And and I just felt physically I was more ready to play against men at 20 years old than I was ready to play junior at 16 or 17. So in a roundabout way, yes, it was easier for me to play in junior, but I was never able to do what I did in junior point-wise because you're playing against obviously the best players in the world.
1: It's really amazing that you managed to stick through there as well. Um, Despite uh, being slight, as you described yourself uh, going through major junior, I know it's, it's hard to imagine probably for some of our listeners, but back then it was big. Like it was like you were six feet to play junior was like a requirement and had to be pushing 200 pounds. It seemed like, and had to be able to, you know, have a a multifaceted game, as you described uh, that you were able to develop early on in junior. Um, Now, you mentioned a lot of tough guys there, uh, in in the names you named that you fought obviously in junior and at the NHL level. Um, I, I, th- I immediately think of when you got traded from Buffalo, and in your first game and back in Buffalo, I believe you fought your former friend and teammate Rob Ray, and there's a bit of a story behind that. Could you tell? Could you tell us about that? Because first of all, I couldn't believe you you would want to fight that guy after seeing what he did <laughs> to guys. But
0: then to actually go out and do it is unbelievable. Rob's as tough a guy as I played with or or against. I mean, I played with him for seven years and watched him over 500 games probably lose a total of four or five fights. And anyone (sighs) that can go on and watch uh, his fights with Ty Domi, I mean, just epic how they punched each other in the face and just went. You you can't hurt the guy. The guy's guy's got a, a melon the size of any pumpkin. Um, that that's ever broken a world record. I mean, it's, it's massive. It's like an orange with a toothpick on it. To steal a line from Mike Myers, but <laughs> he 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 was my best friend. He had dinner at my house um, the night before. I, I came back and and saw my family and invited Rob and you know we opened a bottle of wine and talked about the game and talked about how I liked Pittsburgh and and all of that. And then you get into the game sense and you know where I was always on the opposite side and at the home side you know now i had to be enemy number one instead of being the fan favorite there i had to be enemy number one and i wanted them to hate me uh that's just that's just the mentality i took i played for the logo on the front not the logo on the back and i, I played for my teammates my teammates now were in pittsburgh uh colors and uh he just came out and said lindy ruff said if the coach of the buffalo sabers if you don't stop running around we we got a fight and i just looked at him i said you know me rob You've you've known me for seven years. I think you know I'm not going to stop running around. That's that's not that's not going to happen. And so he followed me around. We got into a little bit of a stick swinging incident, which could have been really really ugly. And uh, you know he he definitely won the fight. Uh, I think it pissed him off because again, uh, when you fight enough and you and you know how to protect yourself, you could actually infuriate someone. So he was at home. He's supposed to kill me. He didn't. And then I just kind of laughed at him at the end of the fight, which infuriated him even more because he couldn't really get his arm loose. Um, that, that, that was, that was a tough one for him, but it kind of set the tone what I was going to do uh, every time I came to Buffalo as well.
2: You know, you talked about being a fan favorite and then also an enemy, and it's a perfect segue into one of the questions that we were looking forward to asking you here tonight. Again, Matt Barnaby here with us on the Pucks Indeed podcast. Um, What was that like one moment? You're a fan favorite. You know, I've got your Jersey. I've got a picture with you autograph. And then the next moment you're, you know, you're playing for the opposition and conversely the opposite. I I hate you. I have a Barnaby Jersey with an X across it or something like that. You know, I can't stand you. I would tell you off if I saw you in the street. And then the next moment, you're you're on my team and and a few games later, you're my favorite player on the team. Like, what what was that like from from your perspective to see that transition within your fan base?
0: It it it's hard in one sense, but again, I know I'm bringing it on myself. So I'm not going to sit here and say, "Oh, poor me. It's it's hard when I'm bringing it on to myself. I know exactly what I'm doing." Um, in a world of Twitter, if we had it, um, it would have been a hundred times worse oh than oh what I would have done and the responses that I would have gotten returned. So that 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 was me. I, 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 I really I really loved being the villain. And now it is hard because you know, I made Buffalo my home still in the summers. Wherever I played, I went back to Buffalo because that's where my family was. Where the grandparents of my kids were. So that part was, was was tough because, you know, you're labeled a traitor. You're labeled this. You're labeled that. You're labeled the asshole. You're labeled everything. But you know, for for me, it was it, it was business. Um, I played for a different team. Uh, but to say it wasn't tough sometimes when when the, the the place you grew up, you know, became essentially a man, a father. Uh, to to know that. A lot of people absolutely hate you now. Some of the some of the fans never left my side, and every time I came back, it was enjoying that you know enjoyable that I got to see you know Barnaby. We still love you and this and that. Matt the Rat's back, all those. Uh, but it is it's it's tough to play the villain, and if you don't have a certain personality, it, it can you eat eat you up. Didn't eat me up. Um, I it, but to say sometimes it didn't hurt. Yeah, of course it did.
1: And
2: you know what, Barnaby, uh, I feel like if there was Twitter in the mid to late 90s, you would have been all over that playing the villain fucking perfectly. <laughs>
0: would have loved it. Would have fucking loved it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, yeah, it's, it's unsurprising to hear you talk so much and so dearly about Buffalo, uh, considering, like, you know, in the 90s, those teams... Uh, really seemed to outperform everyone's expectations. And a lot of people really thought that that was born from the crease with Dominic Hasek. Um I just wanted to ask, like if you had any interesting stories and, and just could tell us anything about what really made that guy tick and what made him one of the
0: greatest. Yeah. Like I, I'm not a big fan personally of him, uh, but here's what I can say. And I think this speaks volumes. Uh, not my favorite guy in the world off the ice. He is, to me, the best goaltender that's ever played the game, bar none. And I'll put Paddy Waugh, Marty Broder, you name them, I'll take Dominic Hasek in game seven, uh, one game, take it all. The, the guy's an absolute legend. Um, his work ethic is unparalleled. Uh, the ability to get in players' minds some of the top scorers that have ever played the game to get in their minds, knowing that he is going to shut the door and they don't have a chance, um, it, it's unbelievable. He's a weird cat. Don't get me wrong. He's a weird. He's a different dude. Uh, but holy fuck, I remember speeches where we would go in after the second period. We had the best goaltender in the world. We knew that. Besides that, we had a really hardworking team. We had a tough team. Um, that would absolutely die for each other. But you know, we weren't the most talented team. We just worked really hard. But he gave us the the ability after second period to Walk in and say, guys, go for it. You know, we're tied or we're down one. I don't care if you give up three on twos or two on ones. I will stop them. Find a way to get that one or two goals. And we'd go out and we'd play hard. And and a different guy would, would step up to the challenge uh, every single day. And the one constant was we had him, we had the confidence, and we had the ability uh, to really play without – you know, play offensively and sacrificing defense because we knew he was gonna stop every puck that came his way,
2: yeah, I'm with you on uh give me a goalie for a one game showdown all time I think I'm with you on that i I put up with a lot of flack on that because I refused to choose marty broder or or patty, yeah. but it just it has to be it has to be the dominator has to be
0: well the the thing is Dom just played. Those guys, and not taking anything away from those Hall of Famers, they're, they're unbelievable. You of course. can flip a coin on any of those guys and you're doing well. But I, I think just, uh, I probably have a little bit of bias because I, I was up close and personal. Uh, Marty Brodeur is a heck of a goaltender. I played against those 90s New Jersey teams. Not to say he didn't face the big shots, he, he did. But those teams didn't give up a lot of chances. They were damn dominant through the neutral zone. Patty Waugh played on some great teams, again, all three unbelievable goaltenders, but for me, uh, Mister Hasek is number one.
2: All right, we'll keep it in the crease then. Garth Snow, I think you know where we're going with that one. Why don't you, <laughs> yeah. Why don't you just break that one down? We played it on the intro for the episode, so if you end up playing this one back at all, Matthew, you'll see we we use that clip where you're, you know, you kind of you're down there in front of the net, and then you go after Garth Snow. So why don't you break that down a little bit for our listeners?
0: Yeah, it's it's, it's funny. I I, I get kind of cross checked and kind of lose my wind right in front of the crease and i you kind of know who you're out there with and who who you're against at, at all times so and i also you know the personalities of different players the funny thing is the ironic thing is the year before when i was in rochester uh and uh, garth was in cornwall um on their farm team that we ended up getting in a scrap and i i knew garth snow um You know, love in your face. He loved to chirp as much as I did, maybe even more, which is whacked. But he he also wasn't afraid uh, to fight either. So when it all happened, it kind of played out. It's not like I had this master plan before. But once I laid down and I was hurt a little bit, I was trying to draw a penalty, maybe even a major. And I saw I knew my teammates were coming in. They're always going to come in. The Bob Boogners, the Brad May, Brad May kind of superfly snook as someone. Bob Boogner comes flying in. Zitnik comes flying in. I knew they were coming into my defense. When that happens, you know, everyone's paired up. And the refs are not going to bother with you. They're going to be trying to break up all the other melee, especially being at home in Buffalo in the odd. So that's all going on. I'm kind of peeking out of the side to see, okay, what do I do? And out of nowhere, I start playing in my head. And I know Garth Snow is going to come. I, I just know his personality, what we have in between. And he doesn't He doesn't even say anything, but he just kind of sticks his stick in and gives me a little jab and kind of like almost tickles me with it, like give me a little push-up. Well, I go, I'm alone. I know there's no refs. I jump up, and I know my fans are just going to love it. The problem was the trainer was in the way. I was like, under my breath, I was like, get out of the way. Get out of the way, kind of whispering it. I go, I'm getting up. And if you watch his face, it's hilarious. He's like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> and my trainer loved fights. So I, I don't know how many punches I land, but there's no ref to come in and you get the goaltender. And I laid about 20 on him before just get tackled. And, and then it went on from there. And then I ended up breaking Rod Brindamore's nose right after. But uh, yeah, one one of uh, it's, it's hard. Everyone always asks me, do you like the, the Mother's Day hat trick against Montreal in the playoffs? Or do you like beating up Garth Snow? And I'm not sure. It's 50-50. I, I absolutely <laughs> love Patrick, but I love punching him 20 times with no one coming in.
2: Yeah, but if you're going to... Wait, so let let me clarify something here. Are you claiming to be the reason for Rod Brendamore's nose?
0: Well, I'm one of them. A... i twice, but... <laughs> Anyone that's seen Rob Brindamore's nose knows it's been broken about twenty times. Right,
2: of course. So, so you contributed yeah. then, at least.
0: I, I, I contributed. If you if you watch that fight at the end, I hit him a couple times, and then I fight him again when he's with Carolina and I'm with the New York Rangers. It would have been probably either 2003 or 2004. And man, did I I busted up good in that one. He's leaking good in that one. That, that one I felt bad because it was my fault. I turned the puck over late in the game. We had a shutout with about two minutes left, and I just I just started punching him in the face for no reason. I feel bad. He's a great guy. So I don't feel that bad.
2: <laughs> great guy, punchable face. We'll leave it at that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's, absolutely it's great that you uh mentioned the
1: rangers there because i did want to ask you i looked up the rosters that you played on because um, i remember it being a very interesting era for the new york rangers and you played quite a few games there but you also played in amongst some very interesting players eric lindros i believe who was there when you were there theo fleury uh mark messier um can you tell us a little bit about what your experience was like overall with the rangers and, and kind of it was interesting. It, it seemed like they were trying to reassemble the old the old boys kind of thing there for a little bit.
0: Yeah, $90 million payroll in 2001 through 2004, and we don't make the playoffs. Uh, yeah. that, that's what I remember. Um, let me say this. It was, I didn't play a lot. I, I got traded to Tampa, and I didn't play a lot in Tampa. Um, so I asked to be traded. I went to New York, and it kind of revived my career. I had three great years playing in Madison Square Garden. It's a great place to live uh fucking expensive but it's a yeah. great spot and the hall of famers that i got to play with you mentioned mess and Lindros, uh, brian leash i mean i uh pavel burray peter Nedved. i play i mean play with a plethora of guys that just, just just awesome um eric Lindros was was my roommate um a guy that we absolutely hated philadelphia buffalo was a massive rivalry with, we had so many run-ins, uh, the things I had said to him before I got there, uh, but it was seamless and he's just a, a, a great guy that, you know, I love being his roommate and, and teammate and line-mate at times and um, just just probably the complete opposite of what people would think he's like. He's great to kids, he's uh, great to, to people that you know, I'd say, you know, socially, you'd say not on the same level as him. He treats everyone the exact same and you know, to 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 play with Mark Messia on a line with him for a year and a half, um, it, w- it was just a great, great experience. Unfortunately, I always say we, we had we had too many cooks in the kitchen. We just had too many guys that were stars. I don't want to say making too much money, but there's there's only there's only five guys that can play on a power play, and right. when you have fifteen guys that are used to playing on the power play and there's only five really playing on it because the second unit gets about 20 seconds, 30 seconds. You're going to have a lot of egos that are hurt, and, and you just don't get the best out of them because they're, they're not meant to play that third-line role, and they're cast like a guy like Peter Nedveds, cast into a, a third-line role. Um, obviously, Theo at that time, when I got there, was going through a lot of issues, uh, to, to say the least, but it was, it was a great time there. I just wish we had... More success. Um, That's the one thing, you know, don't have any regrets or regrets you do that you you have control over. I felt like I gave it my all. I thought I played pretty well. But in the end, I was part of a team that didn't have much success. So, um, you know, that's the only thing that I wish we had more of.
2: Well, you had some pretty good success back in 1998. I, I, I'm only touching on it because you mentioned the power play one or the power play two. I wanted to ask you if you were PP1 or PP2 back in the late 90s when you ran to the conference finals.
0: Actually, in in 98, I was PP2. And then when we got to the playoffs... Um, you
2: turned it up.
0: I, 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 I had asked to be traded at the trade deadline. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, in about January, and they didn't trade me. And we had a meeting once the deadline passed and I said, Hey, I I'm here. You're always going to get my best. And things clicked uh, in that first round against Montreal. And um, then I went from PP two to PP one. And I think I had 13 or 12 or 13 points and in about 15, 16 games Um, it was just a good run. My confidence was high. Uh, My line mates were great. We, we really fed off each other and, uh, it was just one of those things where everything was 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 going well so it was uh it, it was it was a great time to be able to do that in the NHL on the on the biggest stage and go to the conference final we ended up losing uh to Washington the the one guy Dominic Castick was afraid of in the NHL you never would have guessed but it was Peter Bondra it was uh bonsai had his number and Dominic was always fearful of him uh he was a guy that uh you know we were sitting back there going even if we fucking win this we got to play Detroit anyways, we're losing. <laughs> we're, I can tell you, we're, though, we're, I mean,
2: that that goes a long way. I mean, having a, a shooter in your mind goes a really yeah. long way. And, I mean, I, I only play goaltender at a, at a very recreational level for fun. But, you know, I, I can make a couple big saves here and there. But then there's a certain guys that, you know, they're coming down and I, I just – I don't even know if I can stop it. And that's a terrible way to think. But obviously, you know, given what you said with Peter Bondra and Dominic Hasek, like clearly it can get up there at the professional level as well.
1: That's not surprising either. Peter Bondra could rip it back in the day. Like he was a kind of a forgotten or
0: underrated sniper. from The nineties there. There, there, there were so many great ones. It was just sneaky, right? He was, I'd say he's one of those underappreciated guys but there were so many great scores in that era and I think he not, not that he fell between the cracks everyone knew him and he was the guy that you had the the circle before the game but he's not one I don't think that came to a lot of people's mind when thinking about the elite scores at the time
2: all right Matthew listen let's 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 take it off the ice let's get over to the links here all right I want to talk to you about Perfect. I want to talk to you about uh, your affiliation with bet 99. Uh, maybe how that came about, and um, you know, I, well, yeah, just start off with that. Bet ninety nine. I know you can lay some bets down there. I was looking at them earlier today. Some pretty decent lines going on there. Um, so why don't you just uh, give our listeners a little rundown about that?
0: Yeah, I, I've always been a better. I've always been a gambler. Um, I enjoy it. I enjoy the math behind it. Um, I just think it makes sports more interesting when you when you got money on the game, whether it's five bucks or five hundred, whatever. Uh, people afford. I mean, I play with you know Yarimir Yaguar, where he puts ten thousand dollars a game on it. Oh. A little, little out of my realm. Um, I, I'll be living on the streets if I don't have a good winning streak that comes up. But
2: yeah, we I, all I don't have mullets like played. that.
0: Oh yeah, I, 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 I love love playing poker. Um, I think in my ideal world, I'd love to move to Vegas and be a professional poker player. That's that's my ideal ideal job to be able to do. Um, a lot more studying would have to go into it, but it's, it's something that I enjoy very, very much. But I, I love betting on games, and I have an affiliation. Um, it's a Canadian uh, ran company out of Montreal, Toronto. The guys uh, are from, so it's it's a betting site. You know, it's longer the days <clears throat> where you're calling a book, paying them on a uh, to pay your money or pay your money. Now it's all done through apps. I'd say ninety percent of bets are made through apps, and we can look at the New Devils who have a casino, um, an online gambling uh, casino right in their rink. Uh, Vegas Circa just opened up. It's 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 mainstream. You look at almost every sporting event, and we'll see it again tonight because you know ESPN, TSN for Monday Night Football um they have theirs with FanDuel in the states and um it's it's just it's just mainstream it, it's it's with all the all the pools that you got going the survivor pools uh fantasy is so big now oh, it's so uh, fun but it's been a, yeah it's, it's it's been a great fit it's just it just it just makes the experience with watching sports that much more exciting and you know this is a big week tonight you know we have shitty teams tonight playing. New England sucks. They're two and five. The Jets suck even worse. They're zero and eight. No one would be watching this game tonight. No one. But you know who's going to be watching this game? The betters. Anyone that bet That's on the right. game because this is this is as good as two teams being eight and zero. Because if you got twenty dollars riding on it, you're watching this game and going to be equally as upset or equally as happy. Whether the Jets win and you bet on them or New England, it just makes <laughs> shitty games really, really good. It's a perfect week, too. We were talking golf earlier, and, you know, the Masters happening. Yes, it's November. We're not used to seeing the Masters in November, but what a week. What a week it's going to be. And, you know, Tiger, I just <clears throat> I was reading all day and looking at numbers. You know, I don't think Tiger's going to win. I don't think, you know, a lot of people would, would put him up there. Um, I mean his odds certainly are at plus thirty nine hundred. And for anyone out there, if you put ten dollars on it, you win three hundred and ninety if he wins. You put a hundred on it, you win thirty nine hundred. Those are how the odds win. So he's he's like thirtieth favorite to win this week. Having said that, there's more tickets on Tiger Woods than anyone else this week. More tickets doesn't mean the most amount of money is put on him, but the most tickets at almost 40-1 to 1 is on Tiger Woods. And you look at Bryson DeChambeau, what he's done, and he hits it far and just kind of hits it as far as he can. Will he eat up the par fives? Dustin Johnson, you know, second favorite at at plus thousand DeChambeau is plus 850. Um, there's so many guys that can win, and it's trying to, you know, not only, you know, there's a reason why the favorites – it's harder to win a major, especially for guys that usually aren't in the top 20 in the world, top 50 in the world. Yes, anyone can win, but it usually, in the majors, the cream rises to the top. That's, that's The good players like to play majors because traditionally it takes out half the field. That's their belief. Harder course and majors set up harder, it's half the field. When you play on easier courses, it becomes more of a putting contest. That's why scores are 22, 23, 24 under, as opposed to maybe being 13, 14, 15 under. It's much harder, so the better players win. So this week, I'm looking at a guy like Deschambeau that pounds, and I think he'll lead up the par fives. I have a little money on Dustin Johnson. I always bet Tiger Woods. I don't put a lot on him, but I absolutely – absolutely love him. And I think one of the diamond in the rough this week um, is a kid, Colin Morikawa. Um, he won the PGA earlier this year. He's going to be a, a name to listen to for a lot of years to come. And uh, I think this, even though he's never played, played Augusta, it goes kind of against what I said. And, but if anyone's watched him play, man, he does not miss Miss a lot of fairways. He's got a great short game.
2: Man, it's it's almost as if you read my prep that I have here, uh, Matt, for the interview because it's uh, like I don't even know where to go where to unpack everything you just said. But I'm just going to pick one because you covered so much that we have here. Like Bryson, I just want to go with Bryson. I mean, yeah. Do you do you expect him to win the tournament?
0: You know what? He he, he he's going to be there, I believe, on Sunday. I, I think he's going to make some mistakes. He doesn't have a shutoff valve. He goes for everything. Um, and that's kind of what makes it intriguing. You know, they haven't, they haven't, you know, we talked about Tiger, you know, taking courses and and Tiger proofing them. Well, right. you know, because he hit it so far. Well, now we're talking about D.S.hamble that just absolutely pounds the ball and does not give a shit where the ball goes. Of course, he wants to drive it straight. But his whole analogy is, I'm going to fucking hit it far. I'm going to fucking hit it really, really far. Sometimes they're going to go in the trees. Sometimes they're going to go in the rough. But there's not a ton of rough at Augusta. It's more about the slopes and the greens. And the further he can hit it, especially with those par fives, if his putting is even average, he will be there on Sunday.
2: He overdrove the third green with three wood.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, he he pounds it. He, he's laying he's up. like 30 pounds. <laughs> I mean, he literally, we talk about swinging it. If we saw that swing on a regular course, we'd be like, what the f is this guy doing swinging the clubs? He's going to throw something out. But right now, I'm going to fucking pound it. I'm going to hit a wedge or a sand wedge. And I'm going to put he, every par five, he's there in two. There's only so far they can take Augusta back. He's going to eat up those par fives because they aren't long enough for a guy that hits the ball that far.
1: So
2: as a big golfer yourself, what are your thoughts in terms of maybe maybe I'm gonna make my pitching wedge the same length as my six iron and 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 maybe I'm gonna go to the gym and put a few extra pounds on 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 arms and back and, and try and get a few more yards. Where where are you at with that?
0: Well, I'm not smart enough. I'm not a scientist like Bryson DeChambeau. Fair. So I'm not going to overthink the game. You said Second it. of all, I have put 30 pounds on and it hasn't <laughs> been from the gym. It's been from my girlfriend's pesto pasta that I eat about four days a week. So uh, certainly I have the weight behind me. Uh, but no, I'm going to play it traditional. I'm not good enough or smart enough to outthink the game like he has. But it's been uh, pretty remarkable uh, uh, to see what he's done. And Hey, it's it, it, one sport, right? You don't have to. It doesn't have to be pretty all the time. And his analogy is, I'm just going to hit it far. I'm going to hit it really far. And right now, especially with the rough, the way it is at Augusta, it's not like a U.S. Open. Deshampo will have a tougher time winning a U.S. Open now than he will winning at Augusta, only because if you hit it in the rough at Augusta, it's not that big a deal. You hit it in the rough in a U.S. Open, you're up shit creek without a paddle because it's four to five inches instead of an inch and a half.
1: So what do you make of uh, Tiger coming into this tournament? I'm not surprised to hear that there's – you know, the highest number of bets on Tiger, I mean, I'll be throwing a few bucks on Tiger, and it's just really interesting to see him as a bit of a dark horse rolling into uh, a tournament that he, he won not so long ago. And <laughs> he's defending. Yeah, that yeah. he's defending champions. So, like, what do you make of his game going into this? And, and you know, are we going to see him Sunday, do you think?
0: Well, I I I hope so. Do I think we'll see him Sunday? I, I mean, the easy answer is no. Come he hasn't on. has a lot of comp- well, he hasn't played a lot of competitive golf. It's I mean,
2: Tiger, man. It's like saying. I
0: know. Hey, he's my favorite athlete of all time. I stare at his picture that I bought at Riviera Country Club during. A, I stare at it every day. He's my favorite athlete of all time. And I think not, not only the most dominant golfer of all time, whether he hits 18 or 19 majors or he doesn't. He's the best. He He's had issues. He's been so dominant. Uh, but the fact is, if we look at his track record lately, he's. He, Got to stay healthy through four rounds. He hasn't played a lot lately. He hasn't had a lot of success lately. This is the one place where he doesn't have to pound it out there and he can think himself and he's he's more mentally strong than than any athlete probably to ever play the game. So I don't think he'll be there on Sunday. Having said that, I'm putting money on him. I, I'm I, I'm going to have money on Tiger. I'm going to be hoping for him. I don't cheer for for teams except for the New York Jets, and tonight I'm hoping they lose because I want Trevor Lawrence to be my quarterback next year, so I'm a reverse fan, but I cheer for Tiger Woods every time. I hope he's wearing red. on. I hope he's there on Sunday. I hope he's in the back nine where it matters. I hope we hear the Tiger cheers. Whether they're fake or not, it doesn't matter. I'll be wearing red if he's wearing red and he's in contention, and I'm hoping he does, but I don't think with with the field, when you talk about Shambo and Dustin Johnson, John Rom, Justin Thomas, Rory Shoffley, I mean these guys are playing well. These guys, to think that Tiger can be there on the Sunday, if 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 I don't see a lot of people putting a lot of money on it, you're taking a flyer. There's a reason why he's at forty to one odds all right. right now.
2: I think that's fair, but let me tell you why I think you'll end up being wrong, and maybe your money on the line is looking better come Sunday. I'm not saying I hope so. Not saying he's going to win, but let me talk about the miscut here. All right, let me relate it to something that you might be uh, on terms with here, Z. You take your bar game, okay, and you bring it on the road. You're still yeah. pretty good. Bar game is strong, looking solid, probably succeeding. But maybe you have a couple off nights here and there. But maybe bring your bar game back to your hometown or your bread and your butter. You know, Augusta is Tiger's playground. I don't know. Like, as long as the guy is healthy, I just don't think it's possible that he's going to hit poor shots that will result in him having an MC on this event. It's just not
0: possible. He's, he, he, he's, he's the best iron player of all time, and his irons are not as precise as they used to be. I, I hope I'm wrong. Listen, I, I, I hope I'm wrong. And, and yes, normally a bar game is way better uh, at home. It was the wrong analogy with me. Too many of the girls knew me at home so my <laughs> bargain. My my bar game was way way better on the road. Okay. Way better. Okay,
2: fair enough. I I I'll take that answer all day long. <laughs> well, I think that's good, Barnaby. Like thanks a lot for joining us here, brother.
0: Hey, no problem. Thanks for having me. Guys, anytime. Yeah. Loved it, was,
2: it. it was really exciting. I hope maybe we can uh maybe we can count you on uh, not quite a regular per se, but Maybe bring maybe bring you back on here once or twice down the road. Give us a little check and see how you're
0: doing. Absolutely, no problem at all. Sounds good. Awesome, thanks a lot,
1: Matt. We really appreciate you have, uh, coming on the show.
0: No problem. Have a have a great night, and I'll be listening. All, all right, right thanks. Take buddy. care, man. Cheers. All right, bye, boys.
2: All right. Well, how sick was that, dude? You no,
1: know, he was unbelievable. <laughs>
2: Like that was so fun. He
1: he ran the table with it. I mean, uh, I figured it went exactly how I had hoped, and, and and basically we asked him stuff, and he he just ran with it, and we got a couple interesting nuggets there. I thought, and uh, very oh. entertaining guy. I mean, character um, that dom. You saw it on the ice, and obviously exudes a lot of character off the ice, and I can see why uh, you hear media types and journalists talk about great interviews and guys they like to interview. And why? Because they make it so easy for you. And that's basically what happened right there.
2: Hey, dude, like that Dom nugget.
1: Oh, yeah. Not a fan of Dominic Hasek, the person. (laughs) Don't like him. Which isn't surprising to me because he wasn't very well liked anyway. As he was saying
2: that, I was like, I I recalled. Growing up, I did not like Dominic Hasek. I, I, I didn't like him. It was almost like a. It was almost like a Marty Broder or hassock kind of thing. Like, you had to like one, and if you liked one, then you didn't like the other one. And as I grew older and saw more highlights and saw more game footage and stuff, it was like, okay, never mind. Like I know who's better. hassock is just yeah. stupid. Like, I want him on my team because he can save one that looks like it's going in. You know, he can just... I don't know. Not not that Broder... Can, anyway, I don't want to get into it. But point <laughs> of the story is I remember not liking Dominic hassock and thinking... Wow, he's you know he seems like a jerk, but the poor guy just didn't really speak very speak English very yeah. well, right? So I wasn't
1: sure if that was the thing. Was it was it the accent or did he just really come off that condescending? Well, we didn't at know times? him. I mean.
2: Barnaby knows him, you know, yeah, so, I mean, so you know, but fair enough, like, you know, respectable guy, obviously Barnaby is, didn't go into it or anything, just said, hey, great goaltender, he's the guy I want on my team in a game seven take all, but I don't like the guy. All right, sounds good. <laughs> Let's move right along. Yeah, Next just, question, please. It reminded
1: me of, of something <laughs> that, you know, I, I, I didn't really remember, think of immediately when I think of Dominic Hasek and that he wasn't the most popular guy and I remember disliking him greatly as well, of course, as a Maple Leaf fan and uh, him you know, dom- dominating the Maple Leafs on numerous occasions throughout the late '90s and what into the 2000s as well.
2: Well, I mean, we'll see how it goes down the road, but I think that uh, I think that he had a good time. I think Barnaby had a good time there. Seemed to be pretty uh, at ease. I mean, he, he's a radio personality, TV personality. I mean, we didn't even get into any of that stuff. Um, to be honest with you, I don't really want to spend so much time going after their history and everything that they did. Like he, he's such a fascinating individual though. It's hard to find a lane. Like, what lane do you want to yeah. take? You know, you yeah. want to take the agitator lane? You want to take the asshole lane? Do you want to take the fact that he put up points lane? Do you want to take like there's so many options for you to go, you know? So it's tough to get through it, but I thought it was really fun. I think I thought he opened up really well. It sounds like he's interested in coming back, so we'll have to bring him back and maybe chat a little bit more. Golf guy loves his golf, hey? Eh? Oh, yeah, he geez. knows
1: his golf, hey? Eh? Golf and gambling seems to be his uh, main passion there right now, post-career. Uh, keeps himself occupied, for sure. But, yeah, that was, that was a lot of fun. I enjoyed that a lot. And of course, thanks very much again to Matt Barneyby for joining us on the Pucks and Deep podcast. It's been a good one. What are we, taking a week or two here?
2: I don't know what we'll do.
1: We never know. We never know It's, it's, it's a good true. thing We didn't We didn't actually say And you just admitted That we didn't know Because normally We're like Oh we'll see you next week And it's like Three weeks Or two I weeks No, and-
2: But it's because It's so fun to do And we got a lot Of regular listeners Man They eat it up Like right away Listen Pucks Deep Podcast At PuckPod at Go Adam at Coleman Forty Two. If you're not following and you're not, you
1: better be subscribed by yeah, now. Yeah, if you if you listen this deep in the show, you better be a subscriber. And if everywhere, not, like yes, you're
2: everywhere. right, dude. If you've listened to seventy episodes, you need to two-hour like, episodes. Subscribe like, and give us a goddamn review or something. Of the only spotlight. if it's
1: five stars. That like we're not interested in any lower than five-star reviews. <laughs>
2: If anything, give us a nice review based on our sweet tunes.
1: Yeah, you can just say, like the music. Five stars.
2: Love the intro and the outro. Five stars. Is that Contra from the normal Nintendo Entertainment
1: System? Normal Nintendo.
2: Five stars.
1: It's not Super, it's just normal.
2: Is that what you called it? Normal Nintendo? Yeah, yeah I did actually. Normal Nintendo. Yeah. Because it's not Super, it's normal.
1: No, it's just normal. <laughs> Calm down. It's just a normal Nintendo. All right.
2: We're calming things down here in the Pucks Indie podcast. Thanks for listening. That's a wrap. Episode 70. We'll see you guys again whenever we see you.